survey concern. I'm writing in response to your request for more information concerning block number 11 on the insurance form which asked for cause of injuries, wherein I put trying to do the job alone. You said you needed more information, so I trust the following will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. And on the date of the injuries, I was working alone, laying brick around the top of a three-story building. When I finished my work, I realized I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry them down one at a time by hand, I decided to put them in a barrel and lower them by a pulley, which was fastened to the top of the building. I secured the end of the rope at ground level, went up to the top of the building, loaded the bricks into the barrel, and swung the barrel out with the bricks in it. I then went down and untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure the slow descent of the barrel. As you will note on block number six of the insurance form, I weigh approximately 215 pounds. Due to my shock at being jerked off the ground so swiftly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. At approximately the middle of the second floor, I met the barrel coming down. This accounts for the bruises and lacerations on my upper body. Regaining my presence of mind, I held tightly to the rope and proceeded, slowed slightly, up the side of the building, not stopping until my right hand was jammed in the pulley. This accounts for the broken thumb. Despite the pain, I retained my presence of mind and held tightly to the rope. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed about 50 pounds. I again refer you to block number six. As you would imagine, I began a rather rapid descent. At approximately the middle of the second floor, I met the barrel coming up. This explains the injuries to my legs and lower body. Slowed slightly, I continued my descent, landing on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, my back was only sprained. I'm sorry to report, however, that at this point, lying on the pile of bricks, unable to move, I once again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. I trust this answers your question as to the cause of my injuries. Please know I am finished trying to do the job alone. Uh, it is really easy in ministry to get going and do things alone. And you know, if you've been part of Coastal for any length of time, you know that our desire is constantly to be building up and bringing along more people to serve, developing people who will be leaders and uh, really seeing people get engaged in ministry. So uh, Exodus chapter 18 is one of the places that we find a, a support and a foundation for why we do that and why we uh, continually pursue uh, discipleship and encouragement and small group ministry and leadership development and all of these things because no good leader leads alone. We're going to look at this story, and, and I want you to know we're going to actually begin at about verse 13, but this story begins with Moses, and we've been tracking with the Israelites, right? They've come out, they've, they've been in, in the desert, they have uh, fought against the uh, Amalekites, they've gotten water from the rock, as Pastor Marcus talked about last week, they fought against the Amalekites, and God gave them a stunning victory, and and so now here they are in the wilderness, and there have issues have arisen. As you can imagine, there are a couple of million people probably all together. And, and uh, so they're having all of these uh, 
questions come up. But before we get to that, there's an interesting little account, and that is that Moses comes, and his father-in-law, Jethro, where he lived for 40 years uh, with him and in the desert and helping to shepherd his flocks, uh, he Jethro brings out Moses' wife and children who have at some point previously uh, gone back to stay with Jethro. And interestingly, most of the account isn't about that reunion, but rather about what happens when Moses meets with Jethro. And Moses explains to Jethro, who is a priest in Midian, he's a Midianite priest, Moses explains to him what God has done to rescue Israel and redeem them from bondage. And, and Moses shares the truth about who God is with Jethro. And Jethro comes to recognize and believe in the, the God of Israel. Jethro said, verse 10 says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro came and he brought sacrifices to God. Now I want to point out something very interesting, at least to me. Back in Genesis 37... When Joseph was in that whole situation with the multicolored coat and his brothers put him down in the pit and then while the one that wanted to rescue him was away, the others sold him to a band of Ishmaelite traders. A few verses later, it describes those Ishmaelites as Midianites. So the Midianites were responsible for carrying Joseph to Egypt. Four centuries later, a Midianite is the first person who comes to believe in the God of Israel. That's, that's the power of the gospel, right? That's what's really incredible to me about the gospel. And so as Jethro, who has been a, a few times around the block, is watching Moses, here's what he notices. Verse 13, the next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. He said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, well, because the people have come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. That observation prompts Jethro to give some encouragement, uh, some counsel to Moses. Uh, one of our other lead pastors was going to title his sermon. I don't know if he actually did, but he was going to title it, When Your Father-in-Law Gives You Unsolicited Advice. <laughs> uh, but this is good advice. This is really valuable advice that he's about to give him, and it is all about shared leadership. It's about shared ministry. And so I want to give you five principles about shared ministry today. The first is this, shared ministry prevents trouble. See, alone was never the plan. God lives as three in one, three persons, one God. I know we don't understand how that can be, but there is 
community within the Trinity of who God is. That's always been the way God is. When God made man, he looked at everything in creation, and there was one thing that he said, it's not good. And no, it wasn't the man, ladies. It was that the man was alone. It is not good that the man is alone. I will make a helper suitable to him, corresponding to him. And so he made woman. God from the beginning made us to be in community with other people. When Jesus sent out his, sent out his disciples, he didn't send out lone rangers. He sent them out in pairs. Luke chapter 10 talks about them going out, and then they would come back. They went together. Together is important, and shared ministry is just part of how God does things. Alone wasn't the plan because alone is dangerous. Let me read 17 and 18 for you. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Alone is dangerous because of burnout. There's too many needs. You look at the community around us. You look at the community of our church family. There are too many needs. We need multiple people. You look at our children's ministry. We need more people. We cannot do this with just a few. You know what it's like at work when you have too many meetings that could have been an email, right? You have too many uh, busy things that you're doing and you get to fatigue and you know that fatigue is one of the things that can lead us to sin. It can provide opportunities for temptation. It, it often makes us overworked but not fulfilled. It becomes a burden. It is too heavy for you. You will wear yourselves out. It is not God's intention that we wear ourselves out. Now, listen, I get it. There are seasons of life that are exceedingly busy. I've been warning our staff here. We're going to get here in about two more weeks, and it's just going to get into high gear, and it's going to stay that way till the end of April. We've got a lot of things coming up. So I told them on uh, Wednesday this past week when we met, I said, buckle up because we're going to be going. Sometimes it's just busy and it's hectic and there's a lot to do and we have to expect that we're going to be putting in some extra effort. And that's true in, in every part of our ministry. But we cannot live at an 8 or 9 out of 10 all the time and God doesn't intend for us to do that. It's why we share ministry. So shared ministry prevents trouble. Secondly, shared ministry enhances efficiency. It makes us better. Verse 19, Jethro said to Moses, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. It provides a healthy structure. Listen, I, I want to remind you, you can go look at our new constitution. I know this, is, this wasn't even in my notes, so this is kind of free of charge. But um, 
it's, it's online. You can get it. If you remember, you got an email that has links to this stuff. You can look it over. It is part of this healthy structure thing. It is help part of making sure that we have the right leadership in place so our people are free to do ministry. It's what God has called us to do. Healthy structure lets the, leads, the leaders represent the people, lets them help organize what's best. You, keep, you can keep the needs of the people at the forefront that way. And he gives them helpful teaching. You make sure they know. You give them the guidelines. We call them riverbanks at Coastal. You give them the riverbanks, and everybody's free to swim in the water in between the riverbanks, right? You give them direction. You, you show them where they should go. Shared ministry enhances efficiency. Thirdly, shared ministry invests in the future. Verse 21, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Shared ministry invests in the future. This is what discipleship is about. This is why Coastal works so diligently at this. Make sure they are people who fear God. That's maturity. That's spiritual maturity. Make sure they fear God. You may wonder, why do we talk so much about needing volunteers and then ask you to be trained? Doesn't that take time? Yes, it takes time. It's why we want to be in a constant process of discipling and growing people so that as needs arise, they can step in. And if they need specific training, we can give them specific training because we want people who love God, who know God well, who are people of character. That's why discipleship is so important. We don't just want warm bodies. We want godly people who will serve. Maturity. Choose them carefully, he says. So we don't just grab everybody. That's why you don't find me just saying, hey, listen, I just need people, right? We don't just need people. We need people who are people of character and people who fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10 says. So the things of God don't just need to be primary. They need to be pervasive in a person's life. Those are the kind of people we want. It's not only capable. It's capable and godly. 2 Timothy 2.2 talks about choosing faithful men, right? What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's an ongoing process of development. They are to be trustworthy is another word that he uses here. Make sure they're trustworthy. I had a, a man in the business world give me an acronym one time. It's DWY, an S in the middle, and then YWD. Probably won't you spend more time memorizing that than just what it means. It means do what you say you will do. That's trustworthy. When you say, I'm going to do something, do something. Show up, right? Show up and show up on time. I don't know if any of you remember Coach Carter, the movie Coach Carter. He came in, coached a basketball team. One of my favorite phrases, which probably drives the rest of my family nuts, I think. But he says, if you're five minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. 
There's something about a person who is, shows initiative and interest and wants to be engaged. Take initiative. Don't wait to be told what needs to be done and be counted on to be a team player. That's the kind of person we want, trustworthy. We want a person who's objective. They hate bribes in this case because they were talking about judging between people, judging cases between people. But it really means somebody who's not in it for what they can get out of it, right? This is somebody who's objective. I'm just here to serve God. I'm just here to serve the Lord. I will do whatever I need to do to serve the Lord. And they're humble. It doesn't say that's to be a quality, but I suggest that to you that it's necessary because some were placed over groups of thousands and some over hundreds and some over fifties and some over 10 people. And the person who had the kind of authority and responsibility that was over 10 people could have perhaps gotten all uptight and said, well, I wanted 100 or I wanted 1,000. Why didn't I get to do? But these were humble people, and they had to be humble people and accept what God had given them to do. So shared ministry prevents trouble. It enhances efficiency. It invests in the future. And Number four, shared ministry maximizes our strengths. Look at verse 22. Let them, these people that you've just brought in and learnt, taught and found to be godly, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any small matter they decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will be able to bear the burden with you. That's learning to lead where you have to lead. That requires a certain amount of humility, right? It requires a certain amount of objectivity to learn, well, what do I have to handle and what can I give to someone else to share this load? Because it's, it's vitally important that we share the load together. What best utilizes my strengths? What best utilizes the strengths of the people on my team? And it requires that we give away responsibility, which requires that we be in relationship with people. We're not just looking for somebody to say, okay, well, you do this and you do this and you do this. We have to know each other well enough to know who fits best. It requires that I trust people even when they think differently than me. It requires humility because shared ministry is about maximizing our strengths. Let's put a, the right person in the right place. And lastly, shared ministry reduces stress. Anybody interested in having less stress? I thought maybe. If you do this, God will direct you. Verse 23 says, you will be able to endure and all this people will go to their place in peace. God will direct you in the multitude of counselors, their safety. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, team effort, being part of the whole is part of God's plan. It's God's idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. 
There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To some, to, rather to each, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I love that phrase. The Spirit of God does not empower me to serve so that I can get accolades. Listen, we want to honor our family ministries, volunteers today. Hug a children's worker. <laughs> Find somebody who's investing in the lives of our children and young people and let them know that you appreciate their effort. Because it is a little tiring. And I can tell you some of them, even that are downstairs today, have probably been there last week too, and maybe the week before because they love to serve. They love to serve kids. They love to serve your children and you as they minister to your kids. It gives us endurance. Ministry is a long-term thing. Man, I've heard people say, you know what? Well, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I figure either way, you're out. I'd rather stay in. I'd rather be in it long term. I'd rather serve God until I can't any longer. But burnout is real. I've been in it. Some of you have experienced it. I've been in ministries where I was just go, 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 go. Never had a break. Never had a chance to let down. Never had a chance to get away. You can burn out, and you usually don't know that you're burned out until later. It happens, and we don't want that to happen. I want your ministry to be a joy. right? When Paul talks to, to pastors and elders, he's, he's actually talking to the people and saying, I want you to submit to them because I want their ministry to you to be for joy. I want them to love what they do. That's what we want. That's what we want for you. That's why we want to help. That's why we want to always be constantly thinking about who else can we participate with and get involved. And there will be peace. People will go to their place in peace. I think that's talking about unity. I think that's talking about the fact that people are not at odds with each other. I think it's talking about just a sense of peace among the people. It's really significant that we do ministry together. So let me give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. First, and this is related to what Moses said to Jethro, right? Early in the story, I want to know, have you acknowledged the truth about God? What the Bible says about God, his holiness, the reality of who he is. Listen, Next week, we're going to talk about chapter 19. Those people got a dose of the holiness of God, the awesome majesty of God. We're going to talk about it next week. I'm a little concerned already that I'm not going to be able to do it justice because it's so incredibly powerful. Have you acknowledged the truth about God? When I acknowledge the truth about God, it drives me to my knees and it drives me to Jesus because the only hope I have in being rightly related to God is through Jesus and through the gospel. Jesus came. He's God in the flesh. God the Son came, lived the perfect life, which I can't do. 
We've already proved that many times over. He died on the cross and paid the penalty for sin. He was buried and he came back to life again. Actually, literally came back to life again to walk around, talk to people, meet with them, eat with them. That's the gospel. He lived, he died, he was buried, he came back to life again. I turn from my sin, I believe in the gospel, and I receive Christ as my Savior. If that's never happened to you, man, I would love for that to happen today. We always have people up here at the front. You're welcome to come. They would be happy to talk to you about that. There may be a number of things you would want to come and talk to them about or pray with them about. But, man, if you've never trusted Christ, that's, that's step one. Secondly, join the team. That's what this puzzle piece is about. So everybody got a puzzle piece? Let me see your puzzle piece. Come on. Let me make you move a little. Wake up. Wake up. This is what that puzzle looks like. I wish I could, I, you know, if I had a camera, I could zoom in and show it to you. It's a lovely little scenic thing with a nice barn and a tree and pasture land and all of that. Your piece, mine, I know because I've seen the picture that this is a somewhere in the cloud section. Yours goes somewhere. Your piece fits in the puzzle. And without your piece... The puzzle's not complete, right? I have put puzzles together enough times to know there's always one piece missing, right? Always somewhere there's a piece missing. It annoys me to death. I search high and low under the little piece of carpet that's there. Nope. They just, I'm convinced when it says a thousand pieces, there are always 999. I need you to figure out what your ministry for Jesus looks like and to put your piece in the puzzle. I need you to volunteer. I need you to join the team. Our children's ministry is growing. It continues to grow. We have people who are serving there sometimes two times, three times a month. We only have one service. That means they don't get to go to worship unless they decide to show up at Yorktown at 8 o'clock in the morning and then come down here, or unless they want to watch it online later. Listen, again, I'm not asking you, you know, if you don't like kids, children's ministry is probably not for you, right? I'm not just looking for warm bodies, but I do want people who love God, who are trustworthy, who will show up when they're scheduled to show up, who will be there early, ready to receive the children as they come. And student ministry and college ministry is coming this year. We're, we're continuing to expand and grow. I need you to serve. I need you to serve in other areas, right? Go coastal.org slash serve. There are a ton of areas you can be involved in. First impressions. People to meet and greet people downstairs. I hope in the next few months to have a welcome desk downstairs. We have a security team. There are always needs for that. Listen, it's just a reality of life that we all hate, but churches need security personnel to pay attention to what's going on. Mostly to care for our kids, right? We want our children protected. We will need people to help us part. I will need members to volunteer, as some did already this morning, to park along Victoria Boulevard and some more to park out in the street because we're running out of parking. Praise God. 
But I need people to step up and say, here's what I'm going to do to serve. So tuck this thing away. Now, I don't want to look for the trash cans this week and find them here, right? <laughs> Stick it in your wallet, put it in your purse somewhere. So three months from now, you'll dig down in there and say, oh, yeah, what in the world? And hopefully you'll remember your piece fits in the picture at Coastal Hampton. And I really would love to have you engaged. And then the last thing is this. Who are you developing? Discipleship is a big deal here, right? We have all sorts of levels. I have individuals that I'm just kind of casually building into their life, others that I meet with more formally. I have leadership development groups of people that I meet with. I'm doing that it's part of what I must do as a pastor. But who are you developing? Who are you inviting to serve with you? Hey, listen, I do first impressions. I greet people on Sundays. Why don't you come help me? Talk to Chris. Talk to Chris Rowe. He's in charge of first impressions. You can talk. There he is right there. Pastor Marcus is right over here. If you want to be involved in student ministry or children's ministry, family ministries, talk to Pastor Marcus, right? These guys will get you connected to what you're doing. You can show up and pray, right? Listen, prayer is not something you do if you can't do anything else, right? Some people look at it that way. Well, at least I can pray. The first thing we do is pray. So join the prayer team. You'll still be out by 1230. You'll still get lunch. It'll be fine. Because shared ministry is what God intends for the church. God didn't intend for just a few people. He didn't intend for Moses to do it all, and he used a recent convert from the Midianites to point out, listen, you've got to think this through. He doesn't expect me to do it all. He doesn't expect your staff. I know we pay people to be here because they can then devote a lot more hours to it than you can. But imagine if everybody, everybody picked one thing that they were going to serve. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our children's ministry people could have one Sunday out of the month that they show up and do children's ministry, and then they get to worship? We've got one. I won't, I won't mention them because I don't want to embarrass them, but in fact, they're probably not even up here. But when they come to worship, I kind of jokingly once in a while go over and say, Hi, I'm, I'm David Wilson. I'm the pastor here. Because they're so busy all the time serving that they don't get to come to church. Is that a guilt trip for you? Well, if you need it, sure. <laughs> but I hope it's encouragement. I hope it's encouragement to remember we are not here to, to assemble a congregation. We are here to stage an army. We're here to serve God together, side by side. What did Paul tell the Philippians? You are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's what we do. Shared leadership is what it's all about. God gave it to Moses, and, and I think the, the necessity of it continues perhaps even more so to this day. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray, and our worship team's going to come back, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed with our benediction. So let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Coastal Church. I thank you for our volunteers. Oh, God, we would not be able to do what we do without so many people who have faithfully sacrificed of themselves to serve you. So thank you for growing us, Lord. Thank you for growing this campus. Thank you for bringing us 
new people to to serve with and to minister to and to see them discipled, Lord. All of it necessitates more people to step in and be part of the picture. So God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts, encourage those who are here. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just specially bless our family ministries volunteers today. So many of them serve selflessly. And I'm very grateful, and I pray that you would encourage them today through our words and, and through our response to them. Uh, Lord, I pray for the one that maybe is here that is this just all sounds new, all this whole family and we're in it together thing, perhaps because they've never become part of the family. Lord, I pray for the one that might not yet have trusted in Jesus as their only hope of salvation. Lord, would this be the day? Thanks, Father, for your kindness and for the joy we get in serving you together. In Jesus' name, amen.